reclaiming who God intended for you to be. I just want you to believe with me this morning, no matter how we've been shaped, no matter what kind of environment we grew up in, doesn't matter the circumstances, God has a specific identity imprinted on your life and he wants you to know that. I just want you to believe this morning with me that I believe that God can change our life off of one moment, one message. I had a professor one time in school who said, back in the day when I was in college, you know, it's really kind of unrealistic to think that everybody's life can change off of one message. And I thought to myself, man, in Acts chapter two, Peter gave one message and 3,000 lives were changed. People were baptized right on the spot. And so I just, I just want you to believe with me. There's power when we believe together. There is something that happens when we get in unity together and we believe that God can do something amazing, the supernatural, out of the norm. What seems impossible for man is possible with God. Do you believe that? Let's pray. God, I thank you for this moment, these few moments that we're together. I pray, God, that your word is lifted up. I pray, God, that you would take the Holy Spirit's power, God, only unleashed by heaven, and that you would intersect our life. I pray that something monumental will happen this morning. I pray against any kind of thought, any kind of negative thought, any kind of demonic power that might keep your people from distraction of hearing your word, God, that you would remove it in the name of Jesus Christ. God, we believe in your love. We believe, Jesus, that you rose from the dead. I pray, God, that you would shut everything out from the world right now so that we could hear your voice and come in touch with you. We believe that you're the living God, and we believe that your word is active and living in this very moment. I pray, God, today, if there's anyone that just feels far away from you, God, that you would draw us close. Be who you've called us to be, God, and become what you've called us to become. In Jesus' name, and everybody said together, amen. We are in the gospel of Luke. Turn there to Luke chapter 3 before we get there. We're just making our way verse by verse, chapter by chapter. I've entitled this new series called Identity Theft because we're really talking about identity that God gave us and how the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy your life. And we're just going to have none of that, right? In Jesus' name. I just want to say out of the get-go really quick, uh, a couple of quick things. Number one is this, um, a lot of controversy about wearing masks, not wearing masks, all this. We have just purpose from day one when this pandemic started. We are not going to allow disagreements to be in the house of God's people. And so bottom line is this, if you feel comfortable to wear a mask, please, please wear a mask. If you feel comfortable for circumstances known by you that you don't want to wear a mask, that's okay. Everybody has a story and we are going to respect one another. We're going to love one another, regardless of what the world says out there. We're not going to take our cue from the world. We get our cue from the word of God. So I don't, I don't want anyone feeling weird or funny one way or the other. You just, you just do what you need to do so you feel safe and secure. And if you're watching online, so glad that you're with us today. Hey, I just want to let you know that our youth pastor and his wife, Angela, or Angelina, I'm sorry, Zach and Angelita had their third child, Avery. She was born at Mission Hospital. So they have three little ones now. They have twins and then they have little Avery. And I always said, church growth, man. Right? There's always a way for the church to grow. Right, Pastor Scott? That's one way, right? My wife and I looked years ago at our credit card statement that came in the mail, that ugly thing that comes in the mail monthly, uh, back in the day when we used to get mail. But, uh, and it had a Verizon tag on there and it was about $1,500. And it was a shock to me because I don't remember spending $1,500 on Verizon. So I asked my wife, I said, did you order some cell phones? Is it something I don't know about here? And she says, no, I, 
I didn't do it. So I went to the boys, Michael and Jonathan. Did you guys order some phones like on my credit card? No, 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 no. Come to find out we had identity theft happen to us. We were the victims of identity theft. When we found out what it was, I don't know if that's happened to you, but uh, we felt, I just felt immediately standing there with my wife in the kitchen, there was this immediate sense of emptiness, loss, like my heart sank. There was a pit in my stomach to think that somebody got my name, somebody got my information and did something with it without my authorization. It's just a weird, empty feeling. Someone was out there with the intent to steal, kill, and destroy my name and use something that wasn't theirs. I think there is a spiritual identity crisis going on just in Christendom and Christianity all over the country. I believe that. Unfortunately, we have allowed the cues from the world, what we think about ourselves to shape our identity. When God says very clearly, he has given us our identity in Jesus Christ. I don't know if you knew this, but 4.8 million Identity theft and fraud reports were committed in 2021, 4.8 million. It is the fastest growing crime in America, identity theft. But catch this, only 0.14% of criminals are arrested for identity theft. They hide in the shadows. They, they hide in the dark places looking for someone's name to steal. Just like the enemy, when you got saved, when you came to Jesus Christ, your whole identity changed. I hope that was your case. I hope that, well, it's just kind of how I am. This is just the way I am. I can't be something different. Listening to the world that says you'll never amount or you'll never do this or this will never happen to you. And Jesus brings a whole new identity to you that you are loved, you are valued, you are made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ and your whole identity has changed. The moment you understand that and the moment it moves from here to here, the enemy has you marked on as a target. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy the truth of how Jesus believes you are. I believe that. I believe if we don't understand who we are and who he is, we live in a completely different reality from what God wants us to have. Now, in Luke chapter three, I hope you have your Bibles. If you don't, you can look on the screens here. We're gonna tackle verses 21 to 38. And this whole scenario, I just want to paint a picture for you. If maybe you weren't here last week or missed something or just a quick reminder about what's happening in Luke chapter 3. John the Baptist has emerged on the scene. He is a voice, a cry from the depths of God's eternal plan to announce the coming of the Messiah. And he goes out into the wilderness. Remember that John was the miracle child. Zacharias and Elizabeth had a child. They were barren. They weren't going to have children, probably in their 70s and 80s. And all of a sudden, God says, I'm going to bless you with a child. You will call him John, and he will be the forerunner. He will bring forth the power of the Spirit. He will introduce everybody to my son, the Son of God. Now, John is an obscure kind of person. He's peculiar. He's weird. He dresses weird. He eats weird food. And he's out in the middle of nowhere preaching to the rocks. And all of a sudden, I believe in that moment, there was something that fell upon John. He is the only prophet in the Old Testament that says he was filled with the Holy Spirit from his birth. He was unique. He was a card-carrying washed blood Jesus Christ person. He believed his cousin Jesus 
was the son of God. I don't think he understood the fullness of that, but he knew that my cousin Jesus, because Mary and Elizabeth were related, there's something special about my cousin Jesus. When John was out in the middle of nowhere in the wilderness, and it says he was preaching a message of baptism and repentance, he was basically calling everyone, the political world, the religious world, the non-religious, he was calling everybody to prepare your heart for God. You must get right with God now. It was not a feel-good message. It was not, I don't want to be uh, uh, too offensive. I don't want, I want to be politically correct. It was just a message that was directly from God. It was anointed and John was on point. It says that everybody from the countryside came out. Man, I'm looking for the day when everybody from the countrysides, from everybody, every point, every place within our city or South County area is looking for God. There's a hunger for the things of God. Not, not church, not, not organization, but just my heart is so, so wanting God. And the church has always been the agent. Remember church, when we learned from our last study, it's the people of God. That's why it says, I think the whole countryside came out. People were looking for something real. They were looking for substance. They were looking for God and they couldn't find it in religion. They couldn't find it in politics. They couldn't find the identity they were looking for in the world. And they said, let's go out and hear this wild-eyed preacher. We heard this guy burns. Let's go watch this guy on fire. And he's out there in the middle of nowhere preaching. And people are literally, I want you to see this with me. People are literally lined up to get baptized. And as they're baptized, John is letting them down into the water, for the re, not for the remission of their sins, but repentance in that moment. Jesus walks up. Now, John knew who Jesus was because he was cousin. He didn't, I think, have, once again, the fullness of the understanding of who he was. But as Jesus now is standing before him, he looks up and says, behold, the Lamb of God, Jesus I can't baptize you. I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus looks right at John and says, John, we got to do this, man, because we need to fulfill all righteousness. It's right to do this. This is the right thing. And Jesus now is baptized. Let's read, read verses 21 and 22, and then we'll tackle chapter tw or verses 23 to 38. When all the people, watch this now, all the people were being baptized. Do you believe that there's a revival coming and God, God wants to use us? Somebody say amen. amen so the Spirit of God will activate something in our land. Jesus was baptized too. And as he was, watch this now, praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice from heaven you are my son, whom I love. And with you, I am well pleased. Why was Jesus baptized? To fulfill the command of God, to be an example to us, all those great things. But baptism really represents death to life. It represents resurrection power. The bottom line is this. We were destined for God's wrath. I don't think... 
We have slightly moved away from biblical truth, I think, for some of us. I don't think we have a full understanding that I was on my way to a place of destruction. The Bible says that we have all sinned. That means there is a consequence for my wrongdoing. But when I understand where I was destined for, and I understand the greatness of God's love, the fact that he rescued me, and then I said yes to Jesus Christ and received him, I'm saved, man. I don't have to worry about that. I don't live in light of my identity that once was. I live now in the light of a new identity that he created in me only through the gift of Jesus Christ. Listen to Ephesians chapter two. All of us also lived among, meaning Gentiles at one time, gratifying your own desires. Wasn't that like us? We were gratifying ourselves. We did what we wanted to do. We just lived selfishly. I guess I'm the only one. I certainly was the most selfish person on the face of the earth. And following those desires, listen, and thoughts like the rest, we were by nature deserving of God's wrath. The Bible says, I deserved eternal punishment from God. He's God. He's not an old grandfather. He's not a person that's just going to turn his head and just, well, boys will be boys, girls will be girls, come on into heaven. There is a consequence to my wrong actions. But because of his great love for us, God in his great mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our sins. It is by grace you have been saved. I I want you to hear that. I want you to be reminded of that. It is by grace you are saved through your faith in Jesus Christ. He saved you. He sanctified you. He wrote you a new name in heaven. He put you in the Lamb's book of life. And your identity is now someone who is loved and cherished by God. Do you see why the enemy wants to steal that from you? Because if he can think, get you to think, well, I'm just kind of this person. I'm not really living up to what I ought to be. I'm just kind of second class Christian. God will never use me for anything or my past is too. Do you see how the enemy can twist all that? And then we're so ineffective for God because we think we can't be used of God. When Pastor Scott gets up and says, hey, we want everybody in a life group. Pastor Robert says, hey, we want everybody in a team. Well, I don't really think that's for me because, did you see, I don't want you to do that. The past is erased. You have been completely forgiven. Your identity is not what you did. Your identity now is in Jesus. I just want you to see something here that I've passed over when I've read this for many years in the Bible. That when Jesus was baptized, I did not connect this. But for only what God knows, he had me to see this. That as Jesus was praying, I didn't know he was praying at his baptism. Something happens when we pray. When the church prays, when people get together and pray, there's something that happens in the supernatural. A little bit of heaven comes down on earth. I don't know if we had, I I wish we did have time. I could pass the microphone to every single one. There have been miracles that God has done in your life. He has done something significant where you know, and nobody in your life, nobody this side of heaven could ever convince you that it wasn't God. I remember going into the hospital room and the doctor said, there's nothing else we can do with your eight-day-old child. And we prayed and prayed and prayed and the church prayed. This is years ago. And all of a sudden, this child woke up and God did this amazing work. And the child is alive today. God can do the amazing. Jesus was praying. There are seven Greek words in the New Testament that give a description of different kinds of prayers. Petition, intercession, worship, thanksgiving, praise. And just to name a few, this one right here that's used in this text when Jesus was praying, the Greek word is an encompassing of 
all the prayers that are described in the New Testament. That means all kinds of prayer. Jesus is really what it means. He's in complete adoration, complete thanksgiving. He's, he's so lost in the love of the Father that he's praying. And I don't know what that prayer was. None of us do. But there's something in Jesus' heart that is so adoring of God. This is the only time here in the New Testament, the first time that we see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit connecting in the same text, in the same verses. It's, it's amazing, the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they are in total agreement in what's happening here. Jesus is captivated and identified, watch this now, with the love of the Father. That's Jesus's identity. Why was Jesus baptized? He didn't need to be baptized. He never sinned. He was baptized for us so that we would see his identity and who he is. He is the son of God. He is God in flesh. The devil wants you to believe that you're less than. Jesus' baptism was his complete identity with the father. Everything that Jesus did was always in glory to God. He always focused on the father. It was a lesson for us. And inside of your notes, I love taking notes. For me, I have to take notes. So I hope you're gonna take some notes here in the seat back in front of you. There's two things I want you just to, to see here. So clearly out of the text is Jesus, Jesus came to identify with us. He did not give us a bunch of commands and say, you do them. He didn't say, well, I really want you to get baptized. I command you to be baptized. I command you to, he did those things so that we would see what it looks like. Number two is this. Jesus was in total obedience to the Father. He was in total obedience. I, I, I don't want to rush over that too quickly without allowing just a moment for that to sink in to our soul. We have a God, the one true God, one God. There is only one God who comes down from heaven as an example, lived his life, experienced the temptation of everything that we experience so that we could look at him and say, there's a way out of this. There is a way for me to be a conqueror in Christ. There is a way for me to be victorious. And that is a full identity in knowing who he is and who I am. Now, in this text, we're not going to skip over 23 through 38. Some of you read ahead of that and you're going, oh, this looks so boring. But I want you to see this. We're going to read it because it's there. It's important. If God wrote it down, it must be important, right? Anyone here into Ancestry.com? All these things. Really interesting to find out your family tree, your history. Some of you look at it and go, oh my gosh, why did I do this? Some of you are like, wow, this is amazing. I didn't realize where I came from. Genealogies are important. In the day, when we read this in just a second, I'm going to do my best. Genealogies were important because it was a physical record of your family tree that you were counted as a normal, regular person, if you will. So without the genealogy, there's a genealogy in Matthew and there's a genealogy in Luke. One is about Joseph's genealogy. This one is about Mary's genealogy. Without that, you and I sitting here today, we haven't physically seen Jesus. How do we know he was real? Because the genealogy gives us credibility that Jesus was a real person recorded in history. Does that make sense? Okay, so let's read this here together. Stay with me. Verses 23 to 28. This is the genealogy through Mary of Jesus' life. Son of Heli, son of Methot, son of Levi, son of Melchi, 
son of Janiah, son of Joseph, son of Mattathias, and son of Amos, son of Nahum, and son of Esli, son of Nagai, and son of Math, son of Mattathias, and son of Semine, son of Josek, and son of Jodah, son of Joan, and son of Resha, son of Zerubbabel, and son of Shelatile, son of Neri, and son of Melchi, son of Adai, and son of Kosam, son of Elmadam, and Ur, son of Joshua, son of Eleazar, son of Joram, and son of Mathat, Son of Levi, son of Simeon, son of Judah, son of Joseph, son of Jonah, son of Eliakim, son of Malia, son of Mena, son of Mattatha, son of Nathan, son of David, son of Jesse, son of Obed, son of Boaz, son of Salmon, son of Nashon, son of Amadabadab, son of Ram, son of Hezron, son of Perez, son of Judah, son of Jacob, son of Isaac, son of Abraham, son of Terah, son of Nahor, son of Sarug, son of Ru, son of Peleg, son of Eber, son of Shelah, son of Canaan, son of Arphaxad, son of Shem, son of Noah, son of Lemek, son of Methuselah, son of Enoch, son of Jared, son of Melalalal, son of Canaan, son of Enosh, son of Seth, son of Adam, and son of God. This is important to us to know. Some of you like really digging down into the scriptures and really seeing the depth of it. This is so important for you and I to know because someone that might be doubting, ah, Jesus wasn't wasn't really a real person. How do we know Jesus was the son of God? We have record by genealogy, genealogy that Jesus was a real person. Joseph's genealogy in Matthew mentions a guy named Jochanias. Jochanias was the king. He was a bad king. He was a wicked guy carrying the Israelites to Babylon. He was kind of a traitor, kind of a, a, a historical figure. In Jeremiah twenty two thirty, not in Mary's genealogy, that's why this is important that it's mentioned. If Jesus' genealogy was the same in Matthew and it was in Luke, Jesus wouldn't have been qualified to be the Messiah because he would have come from a bloodline that had a curse on it. I'm like, wow, this makes sense now. Some people like to say, well, you know, the Bible's full of contradictions. See, there's two different genealogies. But if we understand in the context, it doesn't look like that. If Jesus was born into Jochaniah's lineage, it would have been impossible for Jesus to be the Messiah because of Jochaniah's wickedness. Genealogies are important because they give context to the reality of a person's existence. Jesus was God in flesh, but he was also a real person, verified by the genealogy. That's why Luke wrote this. He was Dr. Luke. He was precise. He was a person of detail. He was a learned, very intelligent person. And God inspired him by the Holy Spirit to write these things because he knew that you and I would be sitting in this room. We haven't seen Jesus, but we know he's real. So, the identity of Jesus we can see is so important. Your identity and how you view yourself is so important. I read years ago this article from Charles Cooley that called The Looking Glass Self, and he believed this. We believe about ourselves what we think the most important person in our life thinks about us. We believe about ourselves what we believe the most important person in your, in your life thinks about you. Does that make sense? So here's the question. Who's the most important person in your life? If the most important person in your life is your spouse and one day they think you're the best of ever and one day they think you're the yikes, it's gonna mess up our identity. If we think a parent is the most important person and and I'm I'm talking about the eternal God here. When Jesus becomes the most important person in your life, your identity comes through him and then everything else is icing on the cake. Sometimes I will confess to you, I will just, you know, be open and real. 
I just, I do the best I can to prepare this message. When Pastor Scott preaches or Pastor Robert or some of the other guys on staff, Pastor Stephanie, she does her God story for the kids every week. I know they're laboring over the text. They wanna make sure that they are preaching the very heart and the word of God. And I will tell you that sometimes I walk down from those steps feeling like a complete loser. Man, I just absolutely blew it, that message. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if nobody came back to church next week. That's how I feel sometimes. But there's one person in my life who can bring me back to reality. And that's my wife. Sometimes when I'll get home and we're eating lunch after church, she'll say something like, you slayed it, baby. (laughs) I can get 10 negatives. I can get 10, ah, wasn't very good. But one person in my life who I value the most on earth, if she thinks, man, you are awesome. I'm, my identity is, is you see how this works? I, I don't rely on that, but it's certainly nice to get that. But when I understand God's identity for me, how he loves me, he cherishes me, he cares for me, then the four areas of why we get all messed up with our identity are issues. We all got issues. I think a long, long time ago in preaching, I said, I need to get a shirt. This Pastor Mike has issues. Your pastor has issues. If you're looking for the perfect pastor, perfect church, perfect staff, perfect people, you ain't gonna find it here. We all got issues. We're all messed up. That's why Jesus came as the Messiah to clean up the mess and give us a new identity. Second reason I think we get our identity messed up is other people's opinions. We're so worried about what other people think of us that all of a sudden we start seeing ourselves in light of what people think of us. I think negative experience are a contributing factor and the enemy is the master deceiver and liar to tell you and bring up the past that makes you think you're defined by the past. You are not defined by your past. You are defined by who he thinks you are. The Bible says you were created in God's image. And number four is just feelings of inferiority. Just feelings of inferiority. We all have had those moments, haven't we? We just feel less than. I was at a conference one time. This is back in the day when I was a youth pastor. Traveled to Joplin, Missouri. Didn't even know what Joplin, Missouri was, there, was like until I got off the plane. It was freezing there. All these youth pastors came from all over the country for this uh, conference. It was a three-day conference. And the speaker came up. His name was Dave. And he gave this powerful message. It, it, it was about seeing ourselves the way God sees. And I just remember so vividly as I was waiting to talk to the speaker after there was a line of, I don't know, maybe a dozen people. There was a high school student that came up after this conference and you could say he was kind of nervous. He was kind of jerky. He's kind of just moving around. And the pastor looked at him and says, what can I do for you? What do you need? He says, well, I just struggle with stuff and I don't know who I am and trying to figure out life and trying to figure out who I am and da, 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 da. And I try so hard, I try so hard, and I try so hard, and I feel like I fail God. And the Holy Spirit just said to that pastor, ask him about his dad. Tell me about your dad. And his head sank. And he said, I try so hard, I try so hard to please my dad. I try so hard, good grades and sports and athletics and just all these things and try to just, my best behavior, I try so much. And one day, one day, I wanna hear from my dad, I'm proud of you. Youth pastor just gently put his arm on this young kid's shoulder and said, I understand that. I've been there. Can I tell you, there is only one 
who will tell you that it'll make an absolute difference in your total identity, that you, he is proud of you, and that is God himself. That's why it says here in the text, I, I hope this burns in your heart. This is my son whom I love. In him, I, God, am well pleased. God looks at you. If there's one thing that you get today, one thing that you grab out of this and get into your car and go about your day is that you are massively loved by God. He is on a passionate pursuit of your heart. With you, I am well pleased. I'll tell you, that's enough for me. There are days that I will confess to you, God, why did you wire me like this? Anyone ever felt like that? Why did you make me like this? I, 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 I'm just, real side note here. I, I, when I believe we come kind of pre-wired. Okay, the core of who we are, our personality. God, we are in the image of God. He makes us a certain personality. We're just bent a certain way. Some of us lend towards more on the emotional side of life. Some are bent towards the logic, process, think through. I'll decide today how I'm going to feel. Those folks have the privilege of deciding they're not going to let somebody else get them down. And the other people in life are like subject to their feelings. You with me? Sometimes I'll wake up and say, God, why do you make me this way? Why can't I be just logic driven? Why can't I just be when someone just rips all over you and sends you a bad email? Oh, well, it's no big deal. Then you just find another church and just go on about my day. <laughs> I can't do that, Scott. It's like I'm in my own curse, dude. It's, I, gotta, I feel it first, and then I process it through. I think, why can't I be like Greg Laurie? Why can't I be like Billy Graham? Why can't I be like this? God says, stop. I made you who you are. I want you to be content and comfortable with how I made you with a purpose. I made them the way they are. I made you the way you are. Your job is to simply cooperate with me. You are not introvert by mistake. You are not extrovert by mistake. You with me? On the Today Show years ago, there was an announcer named Campbell Brown who did a story on different religions. People travel who worship Buddha, that religion, halfway around the world, up the side of a mountain, 268 stairs to one of the five Buddha statues. The goal of a lifetime in the follower of Buddha is to save enough money to travel halfway around the world, to climb 268 stairs, to pray one time to their little G God. And I don't mean that in, in, in judging or demeaning in any way. It's just, just fact. There, there is facts and there are falsehoods. Jesus is fact. I'm glad we don't have to travel halfway around the world, drive for hours, climb 268 stairs to get to God. I'm glad that the one true living God comes down to us. Jesus came down from heaven. And you know the interesting thing is God comes down every single day. That's the gospel, the good news. He keeps coming down. He loves you that much. You are his child. I'm fully aware of the mistakes and problems and sins and bad choices and 
unearthly circumstances that happened in my life. I'm fully aware of that. What I didn't need is to come to church and hear how bad I am. I need to come to church to see how good he is in light of the stuff that I did that was bad, that he is a conqueror over anything that has happened to me or anything that I've done, any bad decision, any depression, any despair, any loss that I'm feeling, financial issues, can't raise these kids, single want to be married, married want to be single. Whatever your issue is, he understands. He understands where you are. I I want a little bit of the divine antagonist this morning. You know how an antagonist can just bother you, annoy you? But there's one who doesn't bring an annoyance. He brings change. He's the God antagonist. I want him to stir something up in your soul that's such a fire in your soul that I no longer want to live in light of what someone else thinks of me or what I think of me. I now want to live God, what, the way you see me. The world will squeeze you into identity of what the world thinks. I want us to start acting. I want us to start behaving of what I know and not of what I feel. I don't want us to act upon our circumstances. I believe that even this morning, some curses can be broken of wrong identity thoughts. I believe that. There are people in your life that are counting on you. If you're married, your spouse, your children are looking, they're watching, friends, people you work with, people you go to school with. And there's no way to finish, no better way, I think, to finish this this message than to simply remind us of our identity in Christ. You are not condemned. You're not. You are reconciled to God. You have his righteousness. You are loved. You are justified. You are Christ's ambassador. You are forgiven. You are blameless before God. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the salt of the earth and light of the world. You are joint heir with Christ. You are united with him. You share in his inheritance. You are a saint. You are part of his family. You are hidden with Christ in God. You are sanctified. You are holy. You are a living stone. You are a member of the chosen race. You are rooted and built up. You have the mind of Christ. You can approach God anytime you want. You have been rescued. You are his child. You have not been given a spirit of fear. You have been given power, love, and sound mind. You have been adopted. You are royalty. You have direct access to God. You have been assured of all things that work for good to him that love God and called according to his purpose. You are free from condemnation. You have been sealed by God. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. You are a witness of Christ. You are a citizen of heaven. You are seated in heavenly places. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength in Jesus' name. So if you're here today and you don't know your identity and you're still trying to figure it out, I get it. I get it. Maybe today, you know what? I don't know who he is. I think I might know who he is, but I don't really know who God is. I want you to choose today, right now, right here. I really want you to choose today to receive your identity from Jesus. And the way that we do that is through his word. The word never changes. This out here is always going to change in society. He never changes. So if I can take these verses and wrap my mind around them and, 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 and submerge myself into truth, my thinking starts to change. I start to change. I start to rise up and understand humility and confidence in him. My identity comes from God. Second is this. I, I want you to choose to see yourself the way God sees you. 
I got to tell you, in this action point, number two, sometimes I need reinforcements. And what I mean by that is I need help. Remember the, the, the paralyzed guy in Mark chapter two that four friends brought him to Jesus, went down through the roof. Boys, I like your style. You came down through the roof. You did something that was weird. You did something unconventional. And Jesus saw their faith, their faith, not the man's faith, their faith, the four guys' faith. And what I'm saying to you is this. Sometimes I need brothers around me. If you're a sister, you need sisters around you to remind you you're not the scum of the earth. You're not less than. You're not what the enemy thinks you are. You are God's child. And we need people constantly around us who are healthy and have an understanding of that. So get in a life group. Get in a Bible study. Get some friends here at church. Hang out. Go for coffee. Expand that community so that we can be the reinforcements for one another. And last is this. Man, if you're thinking about getting baptized, do it. Let's just do it. Jesus was baptized. We should do it. If you've been thinking about doing January 30th is our next baptism. We always do baptisms every month. Just, let's just do it, right? If you know somebody in your life who's not been baptized, they believe in Jesus, used to go to church, the whole plan, right? The whole deal of South County. Well, back in the day, I used to go to church. Yeah, I gave my life to great glory. Gave my life to, you know, Billy Graham crusade. I did the whole deal, but now it just got too busy. Things crowded in. I didn't really like the pastor. Didn't really like the church. They really wronged me. All those excuses. Pray for somebody that the Holy Spirit will pull them back in, not to a perfect church, but a wonderful identity and simply to be in a part of community. Amen? God, we love you. We love you, God. We, we just want to say at Missionville Christian Church, it, it, one day when, when the rapture happens, God, and you take us and all hell breaks loose, which we believe in Daniel and Revelation, you taught us this, God. It's Thessalonians. We'd be caught up with you, God, in the air on that very last day that people might say, those Missionville Christian Church people, those Calvary Chapel people, those Saddleback people, those people were passionate for God. Oh God, put a passion in us to love you more. The more that we see how you love us, it causes our heart to engage that much more to have a passion, God, for you. And I pray that prayer for each of us, Lord. If there's anyone here today that just feels far, far away from you, God, I thank you for the visual that you gave the prodigal son. Come. In fact, I will run to you and embrace you and kiss you and put a new robe over your back and ring on your finger, shoes on your feet. I will give you a new identity. Come to me, all that are weary and heavy laden. I, Jesus said, will give you rest. And if anyone here today just, you know what, Mike? I, I don't know. I've been trying to be good all my life, but I've never really received Jesus. This is your moment. Why wait? And I want to encourage you to give your life to Christ. Lord Jesus, we give our heart to you. We receive you now. We acknowledge, say, God, yes, I know that I've wronged you, Lord. I've disobeyed you. Please forgive me, God, from my heart and from my mind. God, I want to change. Help me to change. So I receive you now. I believe in your death and your resurrection. And I believe you're coming back. I don't understand every little thing, but I understand and believe that. In Jesus' name, if you made that commitment, God, we want to help you in that commitment. And this time is just a time, we spend just a few moments of just reflecting on what God has spoken to us, what we we're hearing from his word out of Luke 3. And it's just time for you to remember and honor him, to reflect on how wonderful he is, the good news of the gospel. That's what communion is about. 
Jesus passed out the elements hours before he was to be crucified and he looked into Peter, James, John, Bartholomew, Matthew. He looked at all of them and he said, guys, here, take this bread. I want you to drink this juice. I, I want you to remember me. And that's what this time is for, for you to remember how wonderful he is, how awesome God is. And we are simply partakers of this wonderful, wonderful relationship. So God, thank you for this few moments of communion that remind us of where our identity is. It's all in you, God. Speak to us, Holy Spirit. Give us a touch, God, even in this moment. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for joining us at Mission Vale Christian Church. Just know that we always have live services here every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. We'd love to have you here, and we'll see you next time.